0: Hello and welcome to the No Longer Be Children podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Meyer, and we are in pursuit of a mature and stable Christian worldview. And uh, this is a relaunch of the podcast. Um, I've done this a few times, uh, kind of relaunched, said I'm going in a new direction. Um, I used to feel embarrassed about that, about the fact that I go in a new direction every couple years, sometimes every... Well, sometimes a shift happens relatively quickly within a few months Um, but this time it's you know it's a shift Both the seven last seven years kind of were were one direction Um, my math is off the last 12 years really have been one direction Uh, from from 2009 uh, up to the present I've kind of been on a certain track Um, 2008 I kind of Turn this direction, I had a progressive evangelical blog, I was into the emergent church, was moving a certain direction, and then I switched back to a more conservative, more traditional view of Christianity. Um, And I kind of went strong in that direction for a long time. And uh, now I'm switching. Um, Now, I'm not just flip-flopping. I'm building on the things that I have seen you know I never in two thousand eight when I was asking a lot of questions, I never just said that journey was wrong. Uh, I wanted to answer those questions, and I think that I have found some good answers to a lot of those questions uh and that's in 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 large part that's what this journey has been about in the last twelve years is answering the questions I was asking <clears throat> in two thousand eight, such as you know what does authentic Christianity look like, what does it mean to have? An intellectually engaged faith, what does it mean to um, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength not just to have a faith that is not emotion not mentally engaged but to have an intellectually engaged faith and to have a faith that really can take on all the takers uh, that we don't have to hide or silo ourselves to protect our faith, but we can go out there in the world. Have discussions with atheists. Have discussions with seekers of all sorts and other religions, and our faith will hold up. That's what our journey's been about so far, and I'm not taking. I'm not taking that back. Um, some things might modify, but I still want to have an intellectually engaged faith. Where we're pivoting now is I want to look at how we can have an emotionally engaged faith, because. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And um, the Jewish understanding of heart, soul, mind, and strength is a little bit different than our understanding. They didn't have the um, like emotion versus mind dichotomy. Um, but the sense of our whole being and our bodies are part of the story. Um we are very influenced by a Greek way of thinking that uh, the mind is good, the body is bad. The mind is important, your ideas are important, but the body does not matter. Your body, um, as Mark Lowry said, uh, in um, Mark Lowry's a Christian comedian that I listened to growing up, uh, and his voice rings in my head fairly often, actually. It was comedy, but it expressed a lot of evangelical ideas. And he said that, the body is just a machine to carry your your head from one place to another and so in his case he was joking about overeating and he said it doesn't matter if you overeat and it's a very typical evangelical idea which comes out of greek thought comes out of gnosticism and platonism and comes out of greek thought that your body does not matter well the body does matter your emotions matter your your gut matters these things matter to God, and they're part of the story. And I want to bring that aspect of things front and center. That's what this next journey is about, is bringing emotional health front and center in our journey and seeing what that changes. What 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 would change if we said, we're going to prioritize health. We're going to pr- prioritize spiritual health. We're going to prioritize family health. We're going to prioritize emotional health. We're going to prioritize physical health. This is going to be our first priority. What will change? Well, so far, a lot of things have changed, um, which is surprising. I did not think it would be such a shift. I've been prioritizing, absolutely prioritizing health, and a whole bunch of things have happened. And this has been a tremendously rich journey, and this is where the podcast is going, is... Pursuing health. So, um, and our new motto is Seek health, find God, and ministries will find you. That is my new motto for life. Seek health, find God, and ministries will find you. And by ministry, I don't necessarily mean a full-time paid Christian ministry. I mean, what is it that God puts you on earth for? You know, uh, in the parable of the talents where Some people had many talents and some people had few and they hid them in the ground, whatever. I mean, what is the thing that at the end of your life, God will say, look, I gave you this ability. What did you do with it? Did you use your ability? That's what I'm talking about with the ministry is, you know, as we pursue health, what I've found so far is sometimes it leads us in a counterintuitive direction where we feel like we're leaving ministries. It feels like we're moving away from Christians. And yet in that pursuit of health we find God in a deeper way and then I feel so far I've found that that gives us a voice and it gives us a particular way to speak into the world and into c- current events and that for me is is my ministry I'm a speaker I'm a talker I want to I want to change how people think so um, this is meant to be kind of an introduction to the new journey, the new me. So I'm going to try to summarize the last year, which is going to take longer than I wanted to. I would love for this to be a 20 minute podcast, but it's probably going to be like two hours. Um, so in the past, if you've been tracking with this podcast, you know that, uh, in 2014, I went to Africa, um, and it didn't go well. We had to come back. We had health issues. We, and then in 2015 was kind of a rock bottom year. We hit burnout. We hit um some pretty low times emotionally um our marriage uh w- it was difficult um it, it was just a rough year and we went through a lot of counseling we did caring for the heart counseling which is a great program uh really got us on track emotionally um and that a traje- that set the trajectory for the remaining years in Quebec uh where I was a campus pastor and um and missionary in Quebec for From uh, 2015 up till um, 2019. Um, And so in many ways I feel like, I felt like we were pursuing health. Um, But there were many things that were not healthy uh, at that time in our lives. And in in 2019, the last year, um, 2018, I began a different journey of, uh, I, I listened to Jordan Peterson. I got some podcasts on that. He really helped me see things differently, specifically intentional living, you know, just realizing like life is short. What do you decide to do? What, what is your decision for who you're going to be, what your life is going to be? And, uh, I decided I was going to lose weight because I've been overweight all my life. And I just said, this is enough. Enough is enough. And, um, I lost 50 pounds in six months. Um, and that was a huge journey that, um, I have three podcasts on it. Uh, and that only just kind of scratches the surface because I didn't really talk about, um, some of the voices from my childhood that were holding me back. And I don't think I will talk about that. Um, but also voices from evangelicalism, again, I think of Mark Lowry and the humor and, the ways that we've tended to say your body doesn't matter. Um, those were major things I had to fight with. Uh, even ideas like vanity. Uh, it's bad to care about your body image. Um, it's almost good to be overweight because then you won't be vain. I had to push through a lot of thinking to lose that weight and to keep it off. Uh, and it significantly altered who I am as a person. It made me more a lot more decisive, a lot more clear, a lot more... I'm not just going to go with the flow. Um, nobody loses that amount of weight without a little bit of determination and um, chutzpah. And it, it changed me from somebody who lets life happen to him, which, I mean, people that have watched my journey would probably not describe me that way, But because I have gone places and done things. But in some ways, I was a people pleaser that just, you know, what do other people want me to do? What do other people think I should do? Um, At a certain point, I said, well, what do I want to do? And um, what I decided I wanted to do is something that I've been looking forward to and working towards for the last uh, 15 years or so, which is to be a Bible school teacher. And so I applied, and I was excited, and um, I'd been kind of working on a certain school. I'd taught a few classes there, and... um, We went back and forth, back and forth through 2019 until finally it came out that because I don't believe in six-day creationism, I can't teach at that school. Um, And I have done the dance around that issue for like the last 10 years, Um, specifically because I want to teach at this school uh, or a similar school. And I knew this would probably be an issue. And how I did the dance is, look, there's four different issues. I'm not going to make a hard and fast statement pick your issue. And I think that is the way that a Bible school should operate is this is a controversial issue. Different people have different opinions. Um here are the options. You know, I'm trying to present them all fairly. So so you know, make up your own adult conclusion about this issue. Well, what was expressed to me is that's not how we do things. We tell people this is how it is. If you don't believe this then what was said to me in that phone call was, if you don't believe this, then you're probably going to start doubting that Jesus is God and then you won't even be a Christian. Um, which is an unfortunately narrow-minded, uh, uninformed perspective uh, because there's an awful lot of really great Christians moving quickly towards the majority, I think, of Western Christians that don't believe in kind of Ken Ham's version of, of creationism. And, you know, I do understand people have a different perspective on things, but I, I just find it so sad when people say, if you don't agree with me, you're not a Christian um, on, on these secondary issues. And really, I mean, I know that people have strong views on this, but the, the biblical record, um, when you really study it, um, and, you, and you take off your cultural blinders, um, you know, our culture just has a very black and white view a scientific view, a modern view, a Cartesian view that, you know, um, if you're reading a book, it's basically like reading an encyclopedia, you know, a, a word means what it what it means, you know, and um, anyways, I don't want to get into that. But um, the long and short of that was to realize, really, I can't be a teacher at the type of school I wanted to be a teacher at, and, and what I put my energy into is to be a teacher at a small Bible school such that I studied at all these schools are doubling down on six day creationism Um, they're kind of becoming more and more siloed uh, I would say from my perspective they're becoming smaller um, they're under more pressure and it feels like the answer is to become more conservative more strong on these issues Um, and I Along with that, I real—I mean, it was, a, it was a huge blow. Um, it was a life-shifting blow to me uh, to realize that really this dream that I've worked towards for 15 years is not going to happen. Um, but then I began to realize, you know what, maybe I don't want to move towards that anyways as I'm coming out of ministry, um, you know, a seven-year stint in missions, and we're tired, and we're, you know, it'd be good to prioritize family for a while and just... Just prioritize on being us, um, and Bible school teachers. It's a very demanding job. It's very busy. So we thought, well, maybe that's not a bad thing. And then um, we did look into pastoring for a while, and then, but we just really felt uh, like let's take back, be- let's take a step back, let's do a reset, and figure out where to go from there, um, based on some some advice that we had from some mentors. So, um, yeah, it was stepping back from missions for health, for family, authenticity. It was feeling like I I was having to work so hard at fundraising that, um, you know, the marketing aspect of, of missions was just not clicking with me. Um, we really want to prioritize our gut, like just what feels right. And that kind of came out of my journey of weight loss and, and being true to myself, being true to my body, what, what feels right uh, deep down. And um, we want to follow Jesus. It just it felt like God was leading us out. Um, my wife just kept having this image of God parting the Red Sea and, and leading us out, and it seemed like there were so many obstacles in the way of us leaving missions, oddly enough, but <clears throat> it's just how it was. And really feel like God led us out of that. Uh, of course, with feelings of regret, mourning, uncertainty, we left stable employment through missions uh, for nothing. We didn't have a job. We didn't have a place to be. We just felt like it was the right time, right place. Um and it turns out it was. Uh, I covered some of this in previous blogs. Uh, what I'm trying to move forwards to is talking about Alongside Counseling. And Alongside is a place where... Um, it's a retreat center that specializes in caring for pastors and missionaries. And so we spent a year there. Or sorry, a month there. A year would have been intense. Um, and they have counselors that... Um, do various types of counseling uh mostly kind of talk therapy um talk about your issues um i I covered that in a previous podcast about um different types of counseling so you can go check that out um they weren't exclusively christian based uh, although they were all christians they weren't they used secular methods um And significantly, they used EMDR. And uh, EMDR is a simple technique of moving your eyes back and forth while you relive a traumatic event. And um, it really has the ability... It's more than that, but that's the basis of it. It really has the ability to put significant traumatic events to rest uh, when you work through it with a, um, a certified EMDR clinician. And for the first time in five years um I really was able to put my kidnapping behind me I didn't really realize how big of a deal it was my wife kept telling me you got to deal with this this is a big deal it's it's on your mind it's and I didn't even like I wasn't talking to her about it I was thinking about it now and then um I mean probably pretty often like a few times a day I would think about it but I didn't tell her about it, but she told me, like, you got to deal with this. <clears throat> and uh, when I dealt with it, it was amazing, the transformation in my mind um, and how my brain space changed. Uh, so I definitely want to have a podcast about that. And it it was part of this journey as we're trying to understand who we are as people and become more healthy and more whole. Um started to find healing from our past, um starting to find some the strength to get distance with some difficult relationships that weren't bringing us life and <clears throat> um, also during that time was uh when I formulated my my statement for this next journey um and uh, it happened like this as we were doing our Part of the session, they have a lot of different things there. Um, one of them is an excellent kids' ministry uh, that was amazing. Our kids learned, it seemed like more than we did, about emotional health and about, um, I don't know, ministry issues and and travel and um, being safe, um, it was really great. But also we had group counseling and um members of various like they split up all the couples and then they put this into groups and you know we talked about our issues and it was completely confidential and after we talked they coached us on don't try and fix the problem just empathize with the person and that was really powerful because as christians we tend to be like well you know this verse says this and that verse says that and i've struggled with that too and there you go now you're better uh and They said, look, just say that sounds like that was hard, or or you know, empathize with the person then. And so as we got coached with that, we started really sharing deeply. You know, it's it creates a safe environment we when you know you can just share and people are like, Wow, like that's that's hard, you know. Um and so people started sharing a lot and they started sharing two things. Uh they started sharing their childhoods and uh, they started sharing their current struggles and there were a lot of people in the group you know it was mostly kind of successful missionaries um, because the retreat is fairly expensive so it's like I don't know how to say this Um, these were the sort of missionaries that had worked two or three terms already and now were being sent for counseling and if you know anything about missions, to get through three terms, it's a big deal. Um, or even one term or two terms, it's it's a big deal to spend, you know, significant time on the field. So these were people that were successful in the sense that they were able to raise money and um, and, and keep it up for a long time. And, you know, the, the sorts of people that you would look at and say, well, that's Missionary Joe and Miss, Missionary Sally. And, you know, they're... Doing well, they're doing good things um, but the amount of brokenness that was shared in that room um, you know the amount of pain as a, most of them were second generation Christians uh and second generation missionary kids or pastors' kids, and they just shared deep hurts from ministry, and you know I grew up in ministry, but like my dad was. Missed a missionary guy and he was go 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 and he was not there for me or he was so focused on himself and his ministry that he didn't didn't care about me unless i fit into his plan and you know whatever just story after story like that and then they shared and here's my issues you know when i'm in this ministry and it looks good on the outside but i'm struggling on the inside and here's the mess with my kids and i don't know what i'm doing and i'm trying my best and blah blah and it was just story after story after story, you know? And it was just like, and I know that I wasn't getting, like I know there's healthy people in ministry, but um, I know there's a lot of unhealthy people in ministry. And it's not just in that room, but it was just such a an affirmation of what I've seen elsewhere that there's a lot of unhealthy people in ministry. And even the people that we prop up, as the most successful are often quite unhealthy and you know I heard things in that room people saying things like um this is a, this is our family business this is all i know how to do this is what my father my parents knew what to do this is what my spouse's parents knew what to do this is what we know what to do how to do don't know how to do anything else we're in our midlife we have kids we like there's nothing else we can do and course there's other things they could do um but that's kind of how they felt and others felt the pressure to uphold you know the generational legacy of ministry and and felt you know like they have so much momentum with their ministries how can they let it go now and and i resonated with a lot of those things it's like it's hard to step back from ministry Uh, especially when you feel like you have momentum and you feel like um I mean, that's really the morning I was going through with stepping back from the ministry I had really worked on for for four years and the support base that we'd worked up for seven years, but it felt like there's time to step back. But it hurts, you know, when you have momentum. It takes a long time to get that momentum up. Um, But it just, as another person opened up and started talking about their childhood being raised in ministry, I just kind of turned my head to the side and without anybody seeing I kind of made a little vow to myself I said I will not do this I will not do this I will not do this to my kids like um what they were describing it was just it was over and over it felt like um just pain uh caused to their kids because because their parents wouldn't step back from ministry um and it seemed like a lot of a few people in that room were saying you know it's time for us to step back uh the ministry didn't work out or it did for a season now we're done now we we're just going to live a normal life um but some uh some others specifically said you know we're going back and like the one couple they said i'm not sure that our marriage is going to survive but they were still planning to go back um Anyways, um, you know, people make made their own decisions and it's, it's, the point of this is not to judge. The point of this is to say, <clears throat> that night I wrote, seek health and find God and ministries will find you. And that has kind of become my motto. I wrote that in my journal and that's just kind of stuck with me. Um, because what the model I have lived at different times in my life and struggled with even then and you know was struggling with it at that time was cling to ministries you got this position you got this status people are committed to a certain image of you so cling to that cling to your ministry don't back up don't don't reset don't lose momentum cling to this and you keep clinging to it until you lose sight of god and that's kind of, you know, like, it's it's about getting the funds in to get the ministry going. It's about, you know, keeping up the image. It's about keeping up the structures. It's about maintaining the buildings. It's about sending out another newsletter. And where is God in that? It's just, it's just work. It's just, you know, ministry, when you lose the plot in ministry, it becomes like, what are we doing you know, like if, like, what are we doing? Um, I don't know how else to say it than that. But, you know, when when you have God, when you have passion, when it is what you want to do, there's nothing like it. Ministry is amazing. But when you lose God, it's like, what are we doing? You know, it, it becomes so shallow and so strange. Um, But this is what I was seeing. It's And it's not the first time I've seen it. You know, know, I've been around the block a few times. I've been in ministry for seven years full-time and, you know, at least seven years part-time before that, probably longer depending how I, where I begin it. But yeah, I mean, it happens. People lose the plot. People cling to their ministries longer than they should and then they lose sight of God and then they lose sight of their health and then they're stressed out of their minds and they're you know, they're losing track of their families and their kids and they're getting stress-related illnesses and they're, you know. And I definitely lived through that in 2015 after Africa. Uh, we did come back due to health and, and prioritizing family, but then I jumped right into another ministry too quick um, and I had a really bad burnout um, and I had a lot of stress-related illnesses um that popped up around then and so like this isn't a this isn't me saying i'm better than anybody it's just like i've been there and i wasn't gonna go there again i felt like all right (laughs) been there bought the t-shirt we're not gonna do that we're not just gonna cling to ministry let's see if we can do this in the other way what if we just chase health you know, whatever it takes, whatever it costs, we're gonna chase health. We're gonna we're gonna get healthy as a as people, individuals. We're gonna get healthy as a couple. We're gonna get healthy as a family. Um. And, um. You know, whatever whatever it takes to get healthy, that's that's number one priority. And I felt at that time, and then. I felt at that time and, and somewhat after that, that at a certain point I even needed to just kind of hang up my, I don't want to say this, like set aside some of my convictions, some of my beliefs and just say, okay, I'm not saying I don't believe these things. I'm just saying, what is healthy? What does it mean to be healthy? Let's, let's, Pursue that first. And then once I've figured out what it means to be healthy, then I'm going to go back to my beliefs and see what fits and what doesn't. Uh, A previous version of myself would have freaked at this because I would have said that you need to put God first in all things. And when I said, this is very important, when I said put God first in all things, what I meant really, this is the current version of myself, critiquing the previous version of myself, what I meant was... Put your ideas about God first. And if you put your ideas about God first, you know, and, and usually have three or four ideas that are kind of foundational and everything else is built around that. That's just how ideas work. So I had a few ideas that were central and I said, okay, those ideas are immovable. Everything else has to orbit around that. And At this point in my life, I said, well, what does it mean to be healthy? Let's put that at the center. And I just want to pursue what is healthy. What does it mean to be healthy? And then we'll figure out what's going to start orbiting around that. And and as I did that, and even though I was kind of just saying, okay, I'm not, I'm not, you know, like what I mean by this is like when we would learn a new term, like, um, like codependent. Uh I realized that um part of my upbringing uh has trained me uh to be codependent. Another way of saying that is a people pleaser. Somebody that um it's it was ingrained in me yeah, through different things in my upbringing that um it was very, very important for me to appease others, to calm the storm before it became a storm. And and so this is, this is why I'm such a nice guy. <laughs> most, of the, most people like me um, because I can read their emotions. I can read, I can figure out what they want me to be and I can be that for them. So this is codependency. This is called people-pleasing or codependency. It's a term, it's a psychological term, it's interesting. Um, and I'm learning about that and I'm like, okay, well, there's definitely pros to that, but there's definitely cons to that. Uh, it doesn't really fit with me wanting to be, you know, like courageously myself and, and do all the things I want to do and and live my own life. Um, so anyways, like, you know, I learn a term, term like that. Those are terms we'll talk more about soon. My old me would have been like, okay, well, where do we where do we locate that in the Bible? What's the biblical equivalent to that? And you know, you can find kind of codependent people in the Bible, but it's a bit of a stretch. It's it's a term from modern psychology. Let's just call it what it is. And so rather than trying to say oh, this is how it fits in the Bible or oh, this is how you know if we go too far down that road, it's gonna cause trouble to this that or the other and and destabilize different it's just like okay, this is a new term it helps me understand myself, it helps me understand others it helps me understand relational dynamics let's let's take it and let's figure out how to um let's figure out what are the things that made me who I am and how to unravel those so that i can i can rebuild myself in a way that is healthier where I still want to be a nice guy. I still wanna make you happy, but I don't need to. Uh I don't have this crushing like it it doesn't it shouldn't crush me that somebody is mad at me or that somebody in the room is angry. You know, it's somebody in the room is angry. I don't know what their issue is, but it doesn't have anything to do with me. Um that's where I wanted to be and that's actually honestly um 10 months later i'm a lot closer to that right now um than i was back then i mean i was at work today and my boss you know got mad about something a couple times he gets mad often and i mean just he's kind of hot tempered it's it's not personal uh, the previous version of myself even a few months ago when i was working with him it really stressed me out now i just laugh like i'm just like whatever you know it's 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 Whatever, you know. It's, I didn't do anything wrong. It inconvenienced you. Now you're mad. Now you're storming around. Whatever. You know, so that's... I'm more healthy, you know. That's his drama. That's not my drama. So, I digress. There's so much interesting things I want to talk about. But, um... Chase health. That's what I want to do, is chase health. Um so that's why we didn't go from missions into a different missions posting. That's why we didn't go into, um, straight into a church situation or something like that. We came back to our hometown, um, found a place to rent. Pretty soon we got a job, um, driving a cement truck. I, <clears throat> yeah, I like it. It's, it's, gives me time to listen to podcasts and to think and, um, And what I've found so far is that the further that, the more that I chase health, the more that I find God, it really is true. Uh, It has been true for me. I don't necessarily find, um, it's a loaded term, but I don't find religion. I find God. I'm finding my relationship with God is going so deep, um, And like, there's a a power that I'm discovering, um, an authenticity, I suppose. But, um, it's shaking up a lot of things. It's shaking up a lot of things in my, in my religion, in my religious outlook of things. Um, so my, my third element was, and ministries will find you, um, That will likely happen at some point. Maybe this podcast is that. I don't know. But uh, so far, we're still at the first stage of trying to find health and finding it more fully. And and then figuring out how God fits into that picture. Because um, what it has really... um, Some of the things that it has unraveled for me... um, problem at this point is it's just been so much like when you start unraveling a few things then a bunch of things unravel and uh, there's a whole process that people talk about these days called deconstruction Um, and it's kind of the opposite of what i've been doing because i've been building a mature and stable christian worldview i've been very much meticulously building my beliefs and now it's kind of like let's take them all apart put all the pieces on the floor and figure out what do I actually believe, and why. Because, like, you know, as an eight-year-old kid, I listened to Patch the Pirate, and my parents had been trying to be missionaries for uh, several years, and it wasn't working out, and they were finally making the decision to just, you know, um, work a secular job and and be involved in their church, and it was a difficult decision for them. And um, I listened to Patch the Pirate at eight years old, and... Um, listen, heard the song Here am I, Lord, send me Here am I, Lord, send me I will serve you faithfully I dedicated my life to be a missionary. I really felt like God was calling me to give my whole life to him. And and I still feel that call. And I still feel, I, I remind God of that sometimes. I say, it's still yours, Lord. Um, you still got it. It's all yours. And sometimes I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Am I taking it back? And then I'm like, no, God, my life is yours. All of it. Take it all. Um, but you know, I haven't shifted significantly from the beliefs of, in which I was raised and I have shifted, well, I have shifted fairly significantly from the beliefs of my parents. Um, when I was a teenager, I sought mentors in my local church and they became my spiritual parents in a very powerful way. I had a really wonderful experience with mentoring in my local church. Um, I've got, I've, sermon on that called uh, um, um, something of mentors a memoir of mentors or something it sounds cheesy I think I would have done better than that but anyways um, I haven't shifted significantly from the beliefs of my mentors and in the places where I have shifted I've kind of gone low-key uh, I, again, it's this, you know, people pleasing. I don't really want to cause waves. And, um, but also, like, at what point, you know, I had a thought recently, like, I wish, part of me wishes that I could have been born a non Christian. So I could have seen things objectively, and maybe I could have had some time just trying things trying out different belief systems, and then come to this belief system on my own. um, Like, in a sense, I would feel a bit more at this age like, okay, I tried other things, and I know that this is what I believe because I've tried other things. And I've got a podcast on the genetic fallacy which says, look, the path to your beliefs is not... um, like it's it's not it's not right to critique somebody's beliefs based on how they got them. How you learned that two plus two equals four is not relevant what's relevant is that two plus two equals four and that is true for some arguments, but for some things, you get to a certain age and it's just like you know it's religion is such a big question that You know, you you can have all the answers, but at a certain point, it's like, yeah, but are you finding all the answers for this religion because you were raised in it? You know, and um, yeah, anyways, it just would have been interesting to have a different journey, but this is the journey that I have. Um, I'm a bit lost in that thought. Putting emotional health first um, and also with this experience of resolving, um, well, doing significant progress on my, my PTSD really helped me see trauma in a different way. Uh, that was really remarkable uh, to see how the pieces of my mind kind of put themselves back together in a way that was so much healthier and realizing how, how unhealthy my mind had been. And then that helped me see, uh, because there's post-traumatic stress and syndrome, and then there's complex post-traumatic stress syndrome, because after, um, people understood post-traumatic stress from wartime and how trauma is stored in the brain, they started understanding better how children process trauma and traumatic events. And it doesn't even have to be Um, something that a grown-up would think, oh, that was traumatic. Children can be traumatized uh, by a lot of things. And I, I, you know, when you talk about this, you have to, like, I don't want to make parents feel like they're going to mess up terribly um, when they're trying their best. Um, But many of them will. (laughs) Um, I don't know how to say this. Anyways, the the reality is that there's a lot of people walking around with unresolved trauma from their childhoods. Even if they had, you know, two parents at home and relatively stable childhood. Um, a lot of the stress symptoms that they experience later in life um, can be understand understood well through the rubric of what is called complex PTSD. Which means it was a traumatic experience but it lasted a long time you know it could be an experience with a bully that lasted over the course of a year it could be you know the way that your parents disciplined you it could be a lot of different things can can create trauma and trauma it's it's different how it processes your mind or how it is processed in your mind you have things like memories that are blanked out you can't remember what happened you have time um, disassociation where you feel as though you're floating in your body. You don't have it's like you're you're seeing somebody else experience it, or you just go extremely passive uh, when 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 situations happen when difficult situations happen you just go passive, or you're hyper reactive uh, when a small trigger comes all of a sudden you blow up uh, and, and go hyper reactive. These are all from childhood experiences and there's a term called complex ptsd that helps to explain this and helps to unpack this and so um and so and so and so and so um these are things i want to talk about in later podcasts it's gonna be great guys uh, i've learned so much um and there's so much that um i mean it's just brought so much growth and it's just like wow like i'm such a a healthier more put together person um because of these insights and how how i see them fitting together um the other side of this is um talking about you know difficult people narcissists um, sociopaths um, psychopaths um there's some really difficult people in this world um, the bible talks about the wicked the bible talks about fools Um, the Bible talks about the ungodly. Um, we don't talk about those people and, um, it's been interesting studying some of those topics and realizing, oh, actually the Bible does talk about how to deal with certain people. You know, the tradition we've received is kind of, we're all sinners, which, you know, is true in a certain sense. Um, and we're all saved by grace, or we have the potential to be saved by grace, which is also true in a certain sense. Um, but it's it's also true that the Bible does talk about there are certain people that are not walking the same direction as you, and don't be yoked together with them. And so some of these insights started to, to cause some tension points um, between myself and my church, the church tradition that I grew up with. And also sometimes... Um, well, let's just leave it at that, the, the church tradition that I grew up with. Um, one church t- tension was this idea that you always need to forgive and reconcile and, and um, let bygones be bygones, uh, even when there's no change in behavior. And, um, is that what the Bible says about, um, about forgiveness or is that what we have imported? That's a question that I want to talk, uh, talk to a guest about soon. Um, as I've mentioned in previous podcasts about stuff I don't believe in anymore, um, there has been tension for a long time. There's a lot of things I don't believe in and they actually really bug me. Um, but again, you know, people pleaser, want to keep people happy. And then, you know, I was on support. And so you, there's certain things you kind of have to keep under the radar. Um, but I mentioned in previous podcast, young earth, don't believe in it. Um, really don't appreciate people that say you're not a Christian if you don't believe in a young earth. Um, Along with that, you know, I I believe in science. I believe if you have a scientific question, ask a scientist. Don't ask a pastor. Um, because, you know, and, and I have confidence in the peer review process. I know it's not perfect, but... Um, yeah, I believe in science. I believe in an old earth. Um, end time stuff? No. Uh, like, I know that the book of Revelation is about something. I just don't think that it's about predicting with any sort of precision what's going to happen when and you know i grew up in a i spent several years formative years in a church that was obsessed with the end times and at least for that time i think they kind of moved on but when i was growing up it was just end times rapture left behind um a lot of churches were in the mid 90s um and it terrified me and it took years from my childhood i feel like i i didn't have a normal childhood at that time my childhood was not normal as far as playing with pogs and uh do you guys remember pogs was that i don't know if that was it's little discs that you threw in anyways whatever um watching tv and you know doing the things that kids are supposed to do i was terrified of the rapture and i wanted to go knock on doors to try and save as many people as i could Um, but i didn't really know how because i was like 10 but i really felt like we should do this and i couldn't sleep at night and it was uh anyways i when people get really worked up about end time stuff it just bothers me it just makes me mad and i just think god has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind and if the only way you can get people into church or motivated to share their faith is through fear then you don't have a very compelling version of christianity i don't think i think that we can do better than fear um the environment um i think the world is getting hotter and i think it's our fault and i think that We're causing ridiculous amounts of pollution and habitat destruction. Um, There are good things happening. There are tremendously good things happening. But Christians are not on the forefront of that. In fact, I've witnessed a lot of Christians, especially in the generation older than myself, the kind of baby boomers and Gen Xers that just flatly deny uh, that the world is warming and they don't care what science says because they're like, oh, well, it was warm this year, but it'll be cold next year. And I've done this research, you know, I read this book once from the 1800s and it was really cold here and, and then it was warm. So there you go. And, and it's like, you're not a climatologist. You're not like, again, like trust science. I always think when people talk like that, you know, it's like, <clears throat> well, I had this experience and I had that experience and and I think, well, yeah, I mean if and just think if you had more experiences and more experiences and then you wrote all those experiences down in a book and then other people had more experiences and then somebody figured out a way to like collect all of your experiences but then to correct for biases and to correct for your regional the things that are happening in your region. And then what if somebody created a system where all of these experiences of not just hundreds, but millions of people could be collected? And then as people are collecting and are sharing their interpretation of the data, then other people would have a chance, um, other people that are qualified would also have the chance to critique their interpretation of the data based on the data so that the system would become self-correcting. And the more that it is studied and the more that people have experiences, the more precise our understanding of that phenomenon will be. Wouldn't that be amazing if you could move from, I had these five experiences that I'm talking to you about right now, to I'm giving you a conversation that is based on the experiences of millions of other people in this self-correcting system. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah, that's what science is. Yeah, we have that system. It took us um, 2,500 years to create. It's a good system. It's not perfect. It has blind spots. It has weaknesses. But it's a lot better than Grandpa Joe saying, Oh, when I was a kid, it was warm one summer. Like, anyways. Trying to be short and concise here. But anyways, so... Church tensions. Number two is, um, yeah, young earth, end times, environment. These are things that just never really rub me right. Uh, There's cultural rules that, you know, I follow them, but I actually think swearing is fine. Um, You know, when I was in Quebec, out in Eastern Canada where they speak French, um, the F word is used all the time. In Like the French people will, will say, will drop English words into their conversation. And you'll have Christian people saying the F word all the time. And it doesn't mean anything to them. It's like us saying, oh, I screwed up. Oh, je, it it's It doesn't mean anything. And if, you know, out in Saskatchewan where I studied, this out in the western part of Canada, uh, you would say the SH word. I don't know if I can say that without putting an explicit label on this. Um s-h-i-t you know it's a bunch of farmers and they're shoveling it a lot and i don't know i mean i heard it across a pulpit and you know in my hometown like you, you don't say that that's a that's a really bad word and so like swears i think are it's it's all subjective there isn't you know but i felt like you know i you gotta keep a, a clean mouth and, and whatever and uh drinking you know i've i've thought for a long time it's totally fine to drink and um out in Quebec because I would get invited to drink sometimes. I started drinking socially, um, have a half a glass of wine in the evening sometimes. Never to get drunk, but just, you know, I kind of like the taste of wine now. But these are things that I kind of have been flying under the radar because, you know, of, of my situation. But... And then there's things like you have to dress a certain way, talk a certain way, be a certain way. It's just part of the culture of a church. And at a certain point, it's like, why do we do these things? Why do we why do we change the timbre of our voice? You know, you ever notice that people have a church voice and they're like, they never talk like that unless they're in church. It's it's weird. Um, I don't like weird. I don't like inauthenticity. Um... And especially when I'm talking about chasing health, you know, I want to be fully me, everywhere, uh, all the time. Yeah, so the other tension was that um, seeing people as good and bad. Um, yeah, what I mentioned before about like everybody's good, everybody's bad, whatever. Um, because of my experience with PTSD and trauma and seeing that and then unpacking some things from my past really made me see um victims and abusers in the church a lot differently because um you know I read the body keeps the score and I started listening to a podcast called uh true crime stories about victims of traumatic uh events usually sexual abuse and you know that's not my story, but I know I know what it's like to be a victim of a traumatic event that takes you years and years to unpack, and, and it's still a problematic event. And I'm and now that I understand that, I think, wow, um, that must be really hard uh, to go through something like that. And then I look at how the church tends to deal with these things, and I think I'm not sure we're doing a good job. And so I want to have. Um, Well, I'm trying to have an interview with Jeff Crippen, um, who wrote the book uh, "Unholy Charade," which really spoke to this issue for me, and really, um, it's a great book. Uh, It's the best. It's one of the best books I've read this year, and that's saying a lot because I've read a lot of books. um, But it really helped. Uh, His thing is just understanding um, domestic abuse. Understanding how it works in the church, understanding how domestic abusers don't just exist in the church but thrive in the church and use some of the teachings of the church, which drives me nuts. But it's the same thing I was seeing: is like you see how abusers function, and then you see church doctrines and the the things we teach, and I'm like, that would be very convenient. And then you see the things that a victim needs. And you see what we tend to say to people. And it's like, that's not the way to help somebody that's dealing with trauma. And so Jeff Crippen in his book really helped unpack that. But I think it's a necessary message. But I don't think that a lot of people are talking about it um, enough. And maybe I can say there aren't enough men talking about it. Am I allowed to say that? I feel like there's a lot. There's a fair number, as I did some searches on podcast land, um, there's women that are talking about it, but there aren't a lot of men that are talking about it, uh, which is unfortunate. Um, okay, another thing that I have seen that's been kind of a tension is um, purity culture. And I did a podcast, is it two years ago or one year? It was one year ago. Man. So what happened in that year? A year and a half, though, ago, with um, Rebecca Lemke, I'm not sure if I'm saying her last name right, uh, on purity culture. And she wrote a book called Scarlet Virgins and um, about the purity culture. And that was the first time I heard about purity culture, and she had to explain it to me. And then I realized, oh, oh, I get this. This is what, this is in part what my wife was raised in. And then... Um, More recently, as my wife and I have been deconstructing and journaling and understanding more about health, um, we read together the book Pure, which is a deep dive into the subject of purity culture. And it rocked both of us. Um, And I was really able to see, oh, this speaks to me. This is what I was raised in. Um, I was raised in... um, I would say most of evangelicalism uh, is influenced pretty heavily by uh, an unhealthy view of sex, an unhealthy view of the body, and an unhealthy view of sex. Um, And sometimes it's more extreme than others, but I don't know that most iterations of evangelicalism are doing a really great job of... um, presenting sex and presenting marriage. It is getting a lot better though. It's getting a lot better. Um, But maybe what I want to say is a lot of us when we were raised did not receive the message that your body is good. All of the parts of your body are good. Your emotions are good. All of your emotions are good. Yes, you can use your body and your emotions in a negative way. But... Essentially, it is good. It is all good. God created you to to enjoy your body. He wants you to enjoy your body. And the best way to do that is is by falling in love and getting married and having great sex. Um, I mean, maybe that message was given, but the, the other things that surrounded it uh, about this hyperemphasis on virginity and this hyperemphasis on purity and this hyperemphasis on you know abstinence and and masturbation is bad and you know some of these other things it just really stifled uh what is normal what is natural for a body to do and and f- for how people develop normally so i want to talk more about purity culture um i'm going to get rebecca back on soon uh to talk about that And, um, you know, along with this, just seeing legalism, rules, who are the Pharisees again? You know, I cycle back to that really often. Who are the Pharisees? And am I a Pharisee? And it it feels to me like it's a lot of rules. You know, when it comes down to it, there's a lot of rules. Um, And you say, well, no, there's not rules. We're all about grace. Okay, sure. Well, go to church in a tank top and see how that goes. Go to church in a tank top and a mini skirt and see how that goes. Um, go smoke a cigarette in front of a church. See how that goes. Go post a swear word on your Facebook, which is something I did recently. Um, it felt like the right thing to do. I'm not sure exactly why, but I did. Um... You know, see how that goes. It didn't go super well. <laughs> um, there's rules, and I feel like, you know, Jesus was about something, and the Pharisees were about something, and whatever it is that the Pharisees were about, when it really comes down to it, it describes church pretty well. You know, there's there's an in crowd, there's an out crowd we're concerned about politics we want to make sure that you know the romans don't come in and invade we want to have our politicians in power and you know you have to follow your p's and q's or else you'll get cast out of the synagogue and um you need to be careful what what people think about you and the best places in the meeting in the meeting places and you want to have the title of pastor and you want to cling to that position and and you want to you know, look holy and you want to dress right for church and, you know, it just looks a lot like the Pharisees. Um, And I'm not entirely sure what Jesus was about, like how to summarize it, but Jesus didn't talk a lot about beliefs. Like really, when it comes down to it, like Jesus didn't say, you all think the wrong thing and now I'm going to tell you what to think. He told them, he told people, you're doing the wrong things. And this is what you need to change about what you're doing. And this is how you need to live differently. Is kind of how I see his message. Yeah, it was change how you believe and, and build your life on my foundation. But when he said that, you know, build your house on the rock, he wasn't saying the rock of Pauline theology. Paul wrote after Jesus. He was saying, build your your life on the rock of the Sermon on the Mount, you know, turn the other cheek, give somebody your jacket if they ask for it. Um, be humble, be of a poor, be poor in spirit, be kind to others, you know, don't retaliate. If, if somebody strikes you, if somebody swears at you, then then pray for them, you know. That's what you build your life on. And I don't see a lot of that. Um, and in myself or in others, you know, I don't see enough of it. Um, and that's not an indictment on on the local church or in churches I've been a part of. It's just, I feel like maybe our emphasis is on the wrong thing. Another thing that I've been <clears throat> processing, and I understand this is a lot to take in, uh, you're probably getting lost in all these different things and all I got to say is welcome to my world um got a lot going on in my mind these days it's getting it's getting clearer but there has been a lot going on in my mind um and that's why I'm seeing a therapist so I can talk about what's going on and um yeah but another thing that that has um. But okay, an easy one first and then and then a more advanced one. So um my wife was had a story with um or, or part of her upbringing was in um the Advanced Training Institute uh, which is a homeschool curriculum created by Bill Gothard. Um and uh it's extremely legalistic. And it is, uh, it has an extreme element of uh, purity culture in it, and it's a kind of all-encompassing type situation when you really go full bore in it. And um, it's pretty close to being a cult. It's it's got cultish, definite cultish overtones to it when you step back and look at it. It's all organized by one man. It's all about authority. It's it's just. It's very controlling in the different families that use it. Um, And so that's something that we both have been kind of unpacking and thinking through. And I'm going to have a podcast on that. Uh, I've already recorded it with um, Chantal Neufeld, who's actually the founder of a website called Recovering Grace, which is um, a website dedicated to survivors of ATI and um and for them to meet one another and share their stories and and so I talked with her about her story with with ATI um so that's another thing that's just you know it it flies under the radar in a lot of churches you might have people that are still using the curriculum in your church um it's it's had a huge impact um it's out there and I talked about it a bit on Facebook recently and I had a lot of, I had pushback and people saying, no, that was a good curriculum. I had a good experience. And other people saying it was terrible. It's part of why, you know, some people say like, I'm not a Christian anymore uh, because of the how terrible it was under that system. So it's just another piece of the puzzle here. Um, yeah, something that, that shook me pretty deep was, um, understanding shame and it was actually really powerful. I'm not sure if I can convey this story. I might try later, but God really showed me shame and he released me from it in a way that just, it's like miraculous. You know, when I told my wife about it, she was like, like, God, her words were God speaks to you in a very special way, and I, I said I don't know why, and that, I mean that sounds arrogant that I said it like that, but it, that happened, you know, it, and it wasn't anything special in the sense of a, a special voice from heaven or something like that, but just, I understood at a certain point that things that happened were not me, and I felt like God, told me that it wasn't you i can't forgive you for this because it wasn't you that it was not you and um like i those words mean nothing to you (laughs) like there's no way to convey what the holy spirit spoke to me as i was out for a run at night behind alongside training center But god just said that was not you don't carry the shame for that. And when I felt the shame come off of me, then he said, run. Get away from that shame. And I feel it now when people try and push shame onto me. I understand shame. It's, it's a powerful force. And it's different than guilt. You know, anybody does something wrong, they feel guilty, and they want to try and fix it. But shame, shame walks with you and it defines you over the long run over years and psychologically speaking I realized that shame comes like there's people that don't feel a strong sense of shame and those people come usually from healthy families Um, most of us don't come from healthy families sorry to break this news to you Um, you know, most of us come from families with some amount of dysfunction. And what children do very predictably is if something really bad happens, even if it's, you know, the parents blow up and they yell and the child happens to be there, you know, and they're kind of deer in the headlights, like, I don't know what's going on. Even if the parents don't say something like, you know, you just completely ruined, you know, my evening and I worked so hard and now like I come home to you and you just you're such a mess and blah, blah, blah. you know, if a parent says like something like that, it's devastating to a child. But even if they just they blow it, they yell, they scream, they throw something, and the child is in proximity, um Often, what will happen, especially if it's a child that tends towards codependency, people pleasing, is they'll blame themselves. It, it was something I did. I was too loud. I left a mess. Or whatever. It's my fault. And they'll take that pressure onto themselves. And the reason for that is a very simple reason for that. The, the reason is that it would be easier. It would be. It would be devastating, potentially devastating, for the child to believe. Um my parents are bad people. I'm, you know, they couldn't believe that. Um, Because that would mean that their whole life is upside down. At this point, you know, a child is five, they need their parents around for at least another 10 years. Um, So that would be the most terrifying thing in the world to think, you know, my parents are... Bad, or that was a bad thing that they did. And so, what the child does instead is say, I am bad. And that's a much easier, psychologically speaking, it might seem strange, but it's easier for the child to believe, I am bad, I did something wrong, than to believe my parents are bad, they did something wrong. And so, a child will internalize this guilt very, very often, and especially if there's something like a divorce or um, even if children are put for adoption, even if they are put for adoption before they were, you know, like from birth, um, and if there's, you know, different types of, of trauma that the child experiences, even things that are just traumatic for the child, the child can end up taking on this guilt, and this guilt turns into shame that then walks with them their entire life and ends up can define them unless they have they're able to shake it off through counseling or through some sort of work from god but if not you know they they, there are people for example you could right now think of somebody a woman for example that has a very low self-image of herself and just lets herself get abused and goes after men that are not good for her and that abuse her and treat her terribly and if you asked her honestly why she does it she might say something like i'm garbage so i should be treated like garbage why you know what 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 told you that message it was somewhere in her past that she internalized shame and she felt as though Was her fault, something was her fault that wasn't her fault. And so, something that has really shaken me, and I'm not sure where I'm going with this yet, but um, you know, you can welcome, (laughs) you're welcome to walk with me on the journey or not, is realizing the version of the gospel that I have received is basically about shame it is basically about feeling this deep sense of self-loathing and self-hatred and then bringing that to the cross and then feeling a release from that and feeling whole and like that, that that's not necessarily a bad thing but um what I feel like has been emphasized is this sense of putting the shame back on and then walking back to the cross and putting the shame back on and walking back to the cross. and Or if somebody, you know, you're trying to share the, the faith with them, the first thing that you need to do is cover them with shame. You're a sinner, You're you're vile, you're just like Hitler, you're... Um, you deserve to go to hell, and then once you convince somebody that they're filthy, rotten, you know, their best good deeds are like filthy rags and all this sort of stuff, then you can get them to to accept the gospel. And, like, Jesus didn't do that. He didn't tell people that they were filthy. He didn't tell people that they were dirty. In fact, he went to people that thought they were dirty and he said your sins are forgiven without you know and and people that where am i going with this i'm not necessarily questioning the theology i'm questioning the emphasis and how much we have encouraged people to have shame and when that shame has come it's like it's a good thing. It's a virtue to, to feel shame. And I'm not sure that that's healthy. I feel as though that comes from um, negative experiences often in our childhood. And we need to lift shame off of people. I think that is the message of Christianity. I don't think the message is, um, is to push shame onto people. Um, even our songs like... Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Well, you were a wretch, but now you're a saint. You're you know called according to the purpose of God. Um our identity is saint, holy one. It our identity is not sinner. Um and as I thought more about that I realized that um the most foundational person for theology in the west when i say western christianity i mean catholicism and then protestant all all the protestant denominations are all western christianity that's distinct from eastern orthodoxy and also distinct from from coptic christianity cop eastern orthodoxy is uh you know russian orthodox ukrainian orthodox over in the east Uh, Coptic Christians are in the south, uh, they're in North Africa, in Egypt, and um, in kind of the Middle East region. And Europe is Western Christianity. And the West is, um, the most important theologian is Augustine. And Augustine very conveniently wrote us an autobiography, one of the first autobiographies in the Western tradition. He wrote his own life story, and he had a very difficult childhood. He had a distant father that uh, was very demanding, that sent him to school. He has very vivid portrayals of being beaten if he did not learn his Greek, and if he did not learn his arithmetic, and he hated school, and he had a terrible childhood. Uh, He talks about crying himself to sleep, crying himself to sleep, or... He talks about many tears, uh, and very severe treatment as a child. And all that his father cared about, he said at one point, was that I become a good lawyer. That's all he cared about. And his mother cared for him more emotionally. But she had expectations of him too. Um. But then he comes up with this very strong version of original sin, that we're all wicked sinners, right from birth, right from when we are... Tiny little children were wicked, wicked sinners, and uh, he talks about a child. And if you have two children, like twins, um, both trying to nurse, well, they'll they'll fight and squabble, and even as a young ch- child, they can push each other away, and they can get mad and throw temper tantrums, and you know. And so that's how he builds his idea of. Original sin, not that it originated with him, but he he definitely um, anchored it in the West, anchored it in the in the minds of the West that we are all of us are completely sinners, right from birth, Uh, and and then Augustine would have said that unless babies are baptized, they're going to hell because they deserve to go to hell because they're such wicked sinners right from from the get go. it's it's a strong it's really strong uh version of of the message of the christian message and then luther picked this up you know there there's a lot of other people throughout the history of even the western church that did not agree with augustine and um but luther picked it up and again luther um aristocratic family trained as a lawyer seemed like he had a very distant and domineering dad uh he had traumatic experience in a thunderstorm where he was almost struck by lightning and that experience that traumatic experience somehow led him to become a monk and um and then he he revived augustinianism and applied it and you know again it was you know he was He's he's a hero of the faith and and people love him to death and I I hate to say anything negative about him but you know I wouldn't really want him as a neighbor like he he was not he was a very moody guy he, like at one point he threw an ink pot at the devil um, like he was just he there's a lot of turmoil in his personal life there's a lot of anguish and um, his wife at one point said. Husband, you are too, you're too grumpy, or you're too irate, or whatever the word was, in German. And he says, "Well, the people make me irate, you know." And he's just, there's a lot going on. Um, you know, he also was responsible for wars, and he was responsible for Anabaptists being drowned, and um, you know, people being killed for their beliefs, um, and and. But again, you know, it seemed like not the best childhood, and he comes out with this really strong version of, we are all wicked, wicked sinners, and we are all filthy, and we are dirty, and, but God loves us anyways, even though God would just love to smash us like a bug, but he, he's so good that out of the goodness of his heart, he saves us, and, and he saves us by grace, you know, and Yeah, I mean, there's something really refreshing about that in a way. But um, at the same time, it's not really healthy. Like, it's not healthy. And there's a lot of other ways. Like, it wouldn't be healthy for a father to do that, right? Um, Some aspects of that fit, you know, like, it is true that we are not perfect, Everybody agrees with that, just about. Um, Okay, maybe I don't want to get too much into the weeds with this. Again, I just wonder about the emphasis of it. I wonder about, is it possible that the the theology is right, but perhaps the emphasis is just a little bit off. I recorded a sermon years ago about uh, the atonement and about how... um, basically how i thought that the the penal substitutionary version of the atonement is the best one that's the one that says that god is so the atonement is the central message of christianity it it, it answers the question what happened when jesus died on the cross and uh, my answer to that was that god the father was very very angry at our sins um, fortunately, Jesus stepped in the way, and the anger fell on Jesus and not on us and for that reason, we can have peace with god and I think that I still think that is part of the story because that is the message of the book of Romans but i don 't think that is the whole story because it doesn 't seem like that was jesus message, especially I think that the there's other aspects of the atonement that have been neglected, especially by the reformed tradition that I have been been mostly uh influenced by uh for the last decade and um but there's other interpretations such as Christus Victor that jesus dying Jesus facing violence and hatred with love overcame it. And we also need to face violence and hatred with love. And in so doing, we can overcome. Uh, that's a powerful message. Christus Exemplar, that Jesus faced his suffering. He picked up his cross and he took it. And he he becomes an example for us of also taking up our cross and also suffering. Um, these things are not mutually exclusive, but we've put all of our emphasis on one thing that it seems like it's, it seems to me, let me just state it clearly. It seems to me like this emphasis is, it comes from a child that did not have a healthy childhood and sees things through the lens of shame, not just shame that is relieved one time, but shame that is ongoing throughout their life. So that instead of, finding healing from this shame, and growing from it, they're continually coming back for a quick fix. When I think Jesus is not intending to give us a quick fix, he's intending to give us a permanent fix to that shame, so that we can move forward from that, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, Um, as Paul says at one point, not just laying the foundation over and over, but moving ahead to what does Jesus actually say? What is that foundation that we build our lives on? All right. I got a little bit distracted with that one. Um, Augustine. Yeah. Um, something that I'll just skim over is control. Um, there's legalism, there's, there's rules in a church and and you learn the rules and you play the game, um... And to a certain extent it's like it's normal. I mean, if you have a baseball team, there's certain things you do, you know, and if you're more insecure, maybe you'll you'll chew uh sunflower seeds on a baseball team or whatever. Like there's certain ways you behave in different social groups. But churches it there's a little bit more of that. And um you know, if if people if you the level to which you feel control is the amount to which you've allowed yourself to feel control. You know, there's people that are just themselves and they are themselves, you know, and but as a people pleaser, perhaps I felt that more than others. As somebody who... Um, I don't want to label myself as a people pleaser. As somebody who in the past has had those tendencies, perhaps I felt that more. Um, there's a lot of ways that... We can feel as though our actions are controlled. And especially for myself, as feeling as wanting to stay in ministry and as wanting to have a position in a Bible school, it was like there's a lot of things you can't do. There's a lot of things you can't say. There's a lot of things that you can't even think. And because if you think them, you might say them. If you say them, then somebody might notice that you said them. If you start thinking in a certain direction who knows where that path will lead and then all of a sudden you can't sign a doctrinal statement anymore and all of a sudden your life gets complicated um control it, it can happen with so quickly and um and i'm getting tired so i'm losing my train of thought but i want to finish this um Yeah, so the last tension I want to mention is, and this is 10 if you're interested, just the church's response in the last six months or so to COVID and Black Lives Matter and now to the rising presence of conspiracy theories. um, It's been disappointing, I think, to put it mildly. Um, You know, there have been some churches that have done really well. But... It's just been a lot of my friends on Facebook that are just, um, you know, they're denying COVID. I saw again today, somebody saying it's just the flu. I mean, science people, just listen to science. You are not an expert. Go read somebody that's an expert. And I know like oh, look, here's this research article or here's this blog post that references Dr. So-and-so. Yeah, but is it based on journals? Like, uh, anyways, I have a podcast on that. um, So you can go listen to that. But it just, you know, and to see people marching in the streets, this happened a while ago, um, you know, a couple months ago, back when it was important, you know, back when, It could have been stopped early for the United States. Um, Back then, you know, you saw Christians saying Jesus is my vaccine and quoting Bible verses and having big marches and no masks and just like, really? You know, now John MacArthur is saying his church has to meet and witnesses have said that the church is full and people aren't wearing masks for the most part and they're singing And it's just like, really, guys? Like, I I find it disappointing. I find it disappointing how much people are, like, it's fine if you want to vote for Trump, but when people will go to great lengths to pretend that he has no moral flaws and that he's this, this wonderful, amazing person, it's... It's frustrating, it's difficult um, to see how much the faith has become intertwined with politics. Um, Our response to Black Lives Matter has really disturbed me. Um, I had believed that most Christians were on the side of racial justice and racial change. And what I'm seeing is a lot of Christians, perhaps most, really just want to keep the status quo and want things to... St- they just want the discussion to end as quickly as possible so we can go on with life. And um, I just, I'm disappointed in that. Um, I know people have different views about this. Uh, I know that there's, you know, neo-Marxism that we should talk about. We should talk about the views of the founders of Black Lives Matter. But, you know, as a culture, we're having a discussion right now about race. And evangelicalism has said, a lot of evangelicals, a lot of the leaders of evangelicalism have said, that's not a discussion we want to have. We're just not going to have it. We're just going to ignore it. Or we're going to say, we don't believe in Black Lives Matter. Um, the, the Jerry Falwell Jr. thing really bothered me. Uh, I don't know if people know about this, but Jerry Falwell Jr. is the son of Jerry Falwell, who is a very major influential evangelical, uh, who's behind a lot of the, a lot of the machinery of evangelicalism, if I can say that, and also a very politically engaged guy. And Jerry Falwell Jr. was one of the first to dominate uh, Donald Trump. It's part of the reason why something like 70% of all evangelicals voted for Trump in the last election, which is basically why he won, because uh, is it something like 40% of the United States identifies as an evangelical, something like that? It's a large percentage. Um, so the evangelical voting block voted for Trump because of evangelicals and Jerry Falwell Jr. was one of the people that got that ball rolling and he's the head of Liberty. He was the head of Li- Liberty University where I almost studied. It was in the runnings for, you know, one of the s- seminaries I was going to study at for my doctorate. Um, yeah he was caught in some indecencies and um and finally had to step down. but in the discussion, it's like you look back at his legacy and the things he's been saying on Twitter and his long long history of racism and just not being a nice person and then really weird like weird sexual practices that he was doing when he's running a school where like, you can't even be caught, a guy and girl can't even be, be caught in a state of undress, quote-unquote. Uh, or else they'll be fined, like, 150 bucks or something for being caught in a state of undress. And he's, you know, engaging in all sorts of things that are indecent. And so, like, it, it just frustrates me to see... This is how evangel this is how part of, parts of evangelicalism are. It's combined with politics. There's corruption, there's sex, there's greed, there's money. He got a ten million dollar severance package from that university. Um Yeah, it's just disturbing to see some of these things, how how it all works together. Um and I g like I gave a lot of my life to evangelicalism to spreading it to protecting it to answering people's questions about it to um to rationalizing it and it's 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 been disturbing to see how the church has shown up and sometimes how it has not shown up in this time of crisis how it sometimes has been part of the problem Um, okay so briefly so there's some other factors going on Uh, I mean one is you know I'm kind of approaching midlife and some might say well it's the time for midlife crisis I I don't like that term I think it's pejorative and I really feel like it's time for midlife awakening Um, it's time to ask what what do I actually believe because I choose? What do I actually want to be? Who do I want to be because I choose? Not because of my upbringing. Um, although not not denigrating my upbringing just to denigrate it, but who do I choose to be? Um, I have a new job. I have freedom, as I've mentioned a few times. My wife in this process has said that she is not a Christian um, and that she doesn't want to go to church uh we're as a family not going to church just because of COVID and we have five kids, so So we're just taking a step back and she's not close to the idea of going back to a church eventually. She's not close to coming back to the faith. Eventually she just says I'm comfortable with not knowing at this point and and I just I just completely support her in that. It's um I just keep telling her, like, just let the journey be the journey, like just pursue health and she's just on such a good path and i believe that that god speaks to us in in his own way in his own time um anyway so that's part of the journey i'm not going to talk a ton about her uh because that is her journey to to talk about um I came really close over the last couple of months to losing my faith um, over some of these issues. I think COVID and the and the recent response has been, and Black Lives Matter and some of the things I mentioned at the end. Those have been some of the major triggers. Like, um, yeah, I don't want to get more into that than I already did. But um, what I've come back to over and over is the still small voice and the presence that Jesus has been to me through some of the darkest times of my life. And I can't deny that he is there. I can't deny that he is real. And I've recently rediscovered um, the relevant podcast and some other related podcasts online. And realizing that uh, there's a lot of Christians that see things in a more progressive way. And you don't need to... There's a lot of evangelical Christians that see things in a more progressive way. And you don't need to... I don't need to change my faith radically to care about social justice and care about the environment and believe in science and um, believe in the pandemic uh, and, and things like that. So this is kind of the direction I'm going. Um I have a lot of interviews that I'm trying to line up about purity culture, um, about, um, well, okay. Things I want to talk about is trauma and healing. Uh, I want to talk about my own journey with that. And I want to talk to to others who have similar journeys. I want to, uh, talk about health. I want to talk about spiritual health. Um, It's great that we are talking about ideas and getting our thoughts straight in our mind. But also, I'd like to talk about ways that we can raise healthy families and healthy souls and healthy bodies in the church. I want to talk about purity culture. I want to see where the problems lie with that. And I want to see how we can discover a healthy sexuality uh, for our churches and for our marriages and our families. Um, I want to talk about unhealthy things because I care about the church, because I care about evangelicalism. That's why I want to talk about unhealthy things. And that's where a lot of my emphasis is going to lie, especially at first, is just, you know, the Bible says judgment begins with the house of God. And I feel like until we can stare our own problems in the face, what right do we have to talk about the problems of others? Like, why would I, why would I have, a, have a podcast series on, like, the problems of Mormonism? Oh, look at them. They have multiple marriages and, and they have, you know, these issues with their families or whatever. When we have our own problems, what, what right do I have? I, I would rather talk about our issues and ways that we can be better as a church I don't believe that this is a polemical voice. I I want it to be a prophetic voice. I want to, um, with hope, say these are some things that aren't the best. These are some things that are not of Jesus. These are some things that, um, that I think could change. All right, the last thing I want to mention. I think it's the last thing. Um... You know what? I realize I forgot something important, and that is hell. That wasn't one of the tension points or new thoughts. Um, really soon, I want to do a podcast on back doors into heaven and trap doors into hell. This is a blog post that I wanted to write ten years ago, but I felt like I felt like I couldn't. It would get me into too much trouble, and it would it would undermine what was happening in my life because what was happening in my life was I was gearing up to be a missionary and I felt like I needed pressure and I needed I needed pressure you know I'm a procrastinator I'm I'm somebody that has learned to work with pressure um, and I felt like you know in seminary they were teaching me a lot of different perspectives on hell they were teaching me that actually Not everybody has seen hell in the same way throughout church history. Actually, there's other ways to see it. Maybe everybody gets saved. Maybe, you know, people go to hell and they just wink out of existence. Like, there's a lot of different ways of seeing hell. But I was like, nope, I'm just going to take the most severe possible version, and that's what I'm going to hold on to because that gives me the most pressure. And as i was blogging and as i was thinking through different things i realized you know the bible actually says that um you know in the in the passages that talk about hell and heaven there's people that go to heaven that don't seem to have their doctrines right or ideas aren't mentioned in the passage they just go to heaven because they're super poor or because they were kind to people or It's really unclear what happens to people that have never heard about Jesus. It's really unclear, and and Christians, are most of them will just say they don't know, if they're honest. It's almost like there's back doors into heaven, and God's just letting some people slide in, even though they're not getting in the right way. And then there's other verses that seem to say that even when people have all the doctrine right, and have all the right ideas in their heads, they can still end up going to hell, because they're not living like Jesus said, they're not loving like Jesus said, they're not, Um, they never knew Jesus. And so it's kind of like, well, there's back doors into heaven and there's trap doors into hell. But I felt like, well, that doesn't square with my theology. I'm just going to double down on there's a heaven, there's a hell, you get to the good place by having by understanding the gospel and you go into the bad place if you don't know the gospel so let's you know let's go preach the gospel. It's not a bad thing to preach the gospel, obviously um, but I think there's more to the story than that and and also when when I took that pressure off of myself and allowed myself to realize that it really seems to me biblically speaking just from reading it and understanding how other people have read it, that there's more question marks than I thought before. It just gives me a little bit more peace to say, okay, do your journey and just keep walking in the right, walking, keep like, like Frozen 2. Just do the next right thing, you know? Um, and... um I think as you keep trying to do the next right thing, you're gonna find out that Jesus is walking that path with you. He's also showing you the next right thing if you understand him correctly. And and hopefully your your understanding of Jesus wasn't too tainted by religion. Um anyways, when when that version of hell was lifted off of me, that actually was enabled me to think about a lot of other things because there was just so much pressure on my that I put on myself. I I put it on myself. I'm not blaming anybody else. It was me that put that on me. But it forced me to have such a constricted view of everything because it was just like I got to get there to tell people about, you know, the gospel. I'm not saying I don't care about the gospel, but I am saying that maybe... um, Maybe there's interesting and important questions to ask. And maybe the picture is bigger than the four spiritual laws. Okay. Uh, Last thing I want to say is I have a Patreon account. Um, Just Google Josiah Meyer Patreon and you will find it. And um, I have... I'm going to continue this podcast and also I have bonus content... um, in Patreon, and so if you if you would like to subscribe, you can. And that's just going to help me. It's going to incentivize me, obviously, to keep doing podcasts. It's going to help with the the fees associated with creating the podcasts. And um, it's going. I'm going to with my podcasts create additional bonus content. I'm going to do interviews and kind of have you know, extra questions uh, if you would like to go to Patreon and hear the extra questions. And also, uh, when I create pa- podcasts, I'm going to put them on Patreon right away. So if you want to hear the next podcast in the series, if you want to go there right now, there's a bunch of podcasts sitting there in the queue just waiting to, um, to be uploaded on a weekly basis. Um, and yeah, it would just you know i've had a few people reach out to me on facebook and social media and say they really appreciate the podcast and um, yeah uh, if you appreciate it you could um actually what would be really awesome is if you put a if you reviewed it on on uh, itunes um there's only one review so far and it's mine um and if you really really like it you could um subscribe And we could have this wonderful symbiotic relationship where um, we can do this together. So, that being said, this is my new me. I am chasing health. I am finding God. And I forgot to mention, but um, I think I'm going to be a counselor. I think that's what I'm going to do as far as ministries finding me. I think I want to spend the rest of my life trying to help people, um, put their hearts back together and their marriages and their families. And I want to especially specialize in, um, religious trauma. Uh, there's something called religious trauma syndrome. There's ways that religion hurts people in distinctive ways. And I want to study that and learn that and, um, hopefully help people with that. And, um, yeah, so I'm in the very early stages of that, but I would like to um get my certification, probably do a masters in counseling and then uh become certified and then and then start start helping people that way. So that's what I'm excited about these days. That's what I'm reading books on and that's what I'm putting my spare time towards is is researching emotional health. All right, this has been Josiah Meyer for the No Longer Be Children podcast. And uh, I wish you well, friends. I wish you well. God bless.